Welcome to IoT at the Edge, the podcast for the industrial IoT practitioner, evangelist, and skeptic. In this podcast, we cut through all the marketing hype and technical babble to bring you insights and clarity on the industrial Internet of Things. Now, here's your host, Mike Farian. Welcome back to the IoT at the Edge podcast. In the last month, I've been having a lot of Zoom meetings with a lot of manufacturing leaders who are charged with digital transformation. And there's been a lot to be excited about in those calls. You know, we're seeing more evidence than ever of real OTIT convergence going on. And more companies are starting to ask what I believe to be the right questions. You know, and those questions are centered around things like how to architect their solutions in a ways that provide both adaptability and the ability to scale. You know, but it's still not an easy journey. You know, on the technology side, the assets that they need to digitize are part of proprietary, siloed legacy systems. Now, on the human side, there's often an entire ecosystem in place that pushes back against that kind of change. So my guest today has a lot of experience and vision in both digital transformation, strategy, and execution. Walker Reynolds is the founder and CEO of Intellect Integration. And I would describe Intellect as a strategic digital transformation systems integrator. Good morning, Walker, and thank you for joining me today. Morning, Mike. Thanks for having me, man. You know, I've looked at a lot of this stuff, and we'll, we'll circle back to this because you're a prolific publisher of great information on, on these topics. But one thing that struck me is you, you distill things down um, around digital transformation and Factory 4.0 into something you call four pillars. You want to kick off with a, a quick overview of what that looks like? Sure, yeah. So <clears throat> the, the four pillars of Industry 4.0 are in any architecture. We, we talk about this the technology-driven versus solution-centered, right? So when mo- the, the leaders that you talk about, they, the first question that they're, trying to, they're, they're asking is, what is digital transformation, number one, right? Everyone's got an opinion, but they're asking that question, yeah. what is digital transformation? And then eventually they get to the point, what are we going to do with digital transformation? And they really have two options. It really is that simple. They can go two directions. Direction number one is the solution-centered approach. That would be, you know, the uh, Aviva system platform route. That that would be the Rockwell connected enterprise route. That's solution-centered, the, the proprietary data silo that you talk about. We, we know that, that's, that it, while it can be effective on some level, it doesn't get you to what the holy grail is, right, what, which manufacturers are trying to get to, which is a fully integrated business, right, right. where everyone knows real-time the current state and future state in real time, right? The four pillars are focused on the technology-driven approach. And that technology-driven approach is, is really simple. Um, number one, your technology has to be report by exception, okay? That is, it, the, the smart things in your ecosystem have to only report updated values, changes. Number two, it has to be edge-driven, so that is your models need to come from the edge. That is from the smart things. They all have their own namespaces. They have their own data. They have their own information. And they have to drive them to a central location. The third pillar is lightweight. So lightweight means that the protocol, the, the standards, the, the architecture isn't verbose. And that goes to scalability. If you're not using a lightweight protocol as the base of your technology stack, then you're never going to be able to scale. You'll hit a critical mass. So lightweight is number three. And number four is open architecture. It's the most important of the four pillars. They're all important, but if you don't have open architecture, you're wasting your time. 
you could you're not wasting your time if you're not using the first three pillars uh, open architecture is it means that out of the box the the solutions that you are using that meet the minimum technical requirements um, they play nice with other solutions that's that's what it means now the the problem with open architecture the challenge with open architecture is there are companies out there that say that they're open and they're not mm. um, and and uh, the average IT person or whatever is not going to know whether solution A or solution B or solution C are really open unless you design the uh, the technology stack before you start having your conversations. Hmm. Yeah, well, that that is a theme that resonated in a lot of the meetings I've been having in the last uh, literally the last few weeks. Um, you know, again, these a lot of the folks at the table now are coming from more of an IT type background, and, and it's you know truly a more IT OT integrated uh, discussion. But what they're uncovering is it, it's jaw dropping to them because IT you know moved to open architectures literally decades ago, and, and that opened up enormous ecosystems of hardware and software available to them, so they could literally solve any problem. Now they're coming into these siloed solutions that are extremely expensive, and they're they're just shocked at the amount of vendor lock in, and then then the, the switching costs and, and some of them are being public about those statements and some of them are being really cautious about those statements because there's such a built up, um, you know, wave of support and, and ecosystem around that of how they've done things forever. So yeah, that, that open architecture thing, it's, um, it, it's really becoming to the forefront. I, I was just putting together something uh, uh, for a, a discussion uh, kind of a forward looking technology uh, summit sort of thing. And I, I've started to label um, you know, I think that the 2020s are going to be what I'd call the decade of decline of uh, dedicated appliance type type structures. You know, we just just can't keep going like that. So it's going to take a while. You know, even though from a cost perspective and things, it looks in technology perspective, it looks obvious. Um, but there's so much ecosystem built around it that it's probably going to be a 10 year um, slide down that. But that's it's good news for everybody in the open architecture business, right? And it's well, good news well, for everybody that's innovative in the IT world. Where did open architecture come from, right? In the IT world, in the, in the consumer world, in the commercial world, you have essentially two schools of thought, right? You have the proprietary school, and then you have the open source school, right? Open source software is all gener- centered around the democratization of base code, right? And... There's an argument to be had that there's a value of both, both proprietary and open source, right? Open architecture is not, does not mean open source. Right. O- open architecture means, but open arch- architecture is an extension of open source. That is, in order to have interoperability, right? That is, to have, to have, uh, to have two pieces of, of completely separate software play nice with one another, they they both either need to know how to explicitly talk to one another or they both speak a language that both of them understand and that's really what open architecture is right open architecture is the whole concept that you will, that that a piece of software or a piece of hardware is going to play nice with everything else in the ecosystem now or anything else that wants to talk to it now the argument is always made. Here's where the argument. Stefan Hopp will send me an email. He'll, you know, send a text message. He'll send me a message on YouTube. Oh, Stefan Hopp's the president of the OPC uh, mm. Foundation. And he'll say, and there will people say, hey, OPC was already designed to do this, 
right? This is why OPC exists. Hmm. Well, here's the problem. OPC UA is not, it is not edge driven, although there is part uh, 14 or 20. Oh, I, I get the parts mixed up. I think it's 14. Part 14 of the standard, maybe 22 of the standard, is the PubSub standard. Mm-hmm. So they have a mechanism for edge driven, right? But it's not, it's not, it's the exception, not the rule, right? Um, OPC UA is not edge driven. It is not report by exception. It is not lightweight. In fact, it is the exact opposite of lightweight. Mm-hmm. OPC UA is. It's as verbose as you can possibly get. And it isn't open architecture. It isn't. And, 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 and people will ask me all the time, hey, Walker, what do you mean that OPC is not open architecture? And, and, and here's why. So much of the OPC standard is optional. Okay. I, I, I don't know how many people who are listening to the podcast have actually read the standard. I've read it word for word. I've written, I've written applications that use OPC UA. When I talk to other developers who write OPC software, that we're all in complete agreement. <laughs> it is, it's only salespeople and marketing people and strategists, you know, C levels who have a vested interest in the success of OPC who are debating us. It's not anyone who works with OPC knows that OPC UA is not the future of industrial automation. It is not the future of IOT. That doesn't mean it doesn't have a place, but what we're saying is, is that OPC UA is not that foundation and just because you speak OPC UA, that is, you can decipher OPC UA, does not make you open. And and this is a fundamental argument. There, this is a the you know the Rockwell automations of the world will say, well, we're open because we support OPC UA. And what we're saying is that premise is flawed. OPC UA is not open. Um, hmm. And and we can prove that empirically. This is why no one, you know, I've I've asked members of these organizations to come on my podcast many 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 times. And no one's going to come on the podcast because they're not, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, they're going to lose. They're, well, I'm not going to lose. They're just, they won't, they're, they're, their argument's not going to hold water. So one of the challenges that you're seeing and I see all the time is within, there are really three fundamental challenges that end users are facing when it comes to digital transformation. Number one, they don't understand what digital transformation actually is. The value proposition. That is how, how do I demonstrate the overall value? Of digital transformation, yeah. number one. Number two, they don't understand where to start. Okay, sure. yeah. so what? It, it, how do I eat this elephant? Yeah, <laughs> right. They don't even understand where to start. And number three, they don't understand how to adjust to how what they want will change as they learn more down the uh, throughout the process. And we we talk about this all the time: is digital transformation being a strategy? It's a process. It's not a project. Yeah, and yeah. and where you start is a function of what you know. And the next step I take is a function of what I learned. And you have to have a mechanism to manage that. And those are the three things that these end users don't have when they start. And it's yeah. the question and these are all the questions that they ask us to yeah. answer for them. So so you guys at Intellect, you you have a process you use with new new clients, right? And I've read a little bit about this. So it's what you call your digital transformation maturity assessment. Correct. So it sounds like you're you're kinda on the fringes of that with this discussion. Can you walk walk me through that a little bit more? Sure. So here, here's a very common engagement. Um, either a, a, a potential client, normally a really large organization reaches out to us. It's, it, the smaller organizations are willing to try and fail because it's not, they're not going to lose a lot, mm-hmm. right? There's not a huge capital investment to get started and try things, right? 
Um, they also have a lot more flexibility. The IT departments aren't run like the Gestapo, so they, you know, they don't beat you over the head with a baton if you break a break a rule in these smaller organizations. So they can get away with they can get away with more, right? The, normally, a, a, a member of a really large company will reach out to us and say, "Hey, um, you know, someone suggested I call you or whatever," and they'll say, "You know, we we've been tasked. I've been hired as the digital transformation director." Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'll say, what's your background? And he'll say, I'm, you know, I'm a manufacturing engineer or I was an operations manager or I was in IT or whatever. You know, yep. I've never digitally transformed an organization, though. <laughs> right. And he'll go and he'll say, you know, where do we start? And, and so what we talk about all the time is what we've learned is that there are very specific steps to digital transformation. And we've constructed a list of that. Right. And so that list is. The first thing you have to do if you want to digitally transform is you have to inventory your business. Okay. Yep. Step two is you have to inventory all the intelligence in your business. And that intelligence is not limited to just the hardware and software you have. It's also the human intelligence. So you have to inventory the intelligence. Then you have to connect your intelligence to your network. Okay. This is where IT comes in. <laughs> yep. yeah. Then you have to create a unified namespace. And this goes into our strategies, right? And then you have to integrate the intelligence into the unified namespace. But, the first step, and that there are, uh, you know, one, two, three, I don't know, maybe 18 steps in digital transformation, right? Um, and, and in fact, let me read them all. I'll, let me read off the steps because yeah. I think this will be valuable for people. So number one, you inventory your business. Number two, you inventory your intelligence. Number three, you connect all the intelligence to your network. Number four, you create a unified namespace. Unified namespace is single source of truth for your entire business, the current state. It's basically the structure and it's all the events, right? You then you integrate the intelligence in your unified namespace. So everything is treated as a node. It consumes data, publishes data. Then you present information. So to consumers, what do they need when they need it, how they need it. Uh, Then you learn from that new knowledge. Okay. They, your people get smarter and you learn from it. And then you expand what you need based on what, on that new knowledge. You start integrating machine learning. You start integrating artificial intelligence. And then you learn from new knowledge. Yeah. And then you do it all over again. You expand what you need based on the new knowledge. Those are the steps of digital transformation at a 10,000-foot view. The assessment, the first step, is that inventorying business and inventorying intelligence. And that is where our digital transformation and maturity assessment comes in. So on a scale of 3.0 to 4.0, we essentially score people. We have a 23-point assessment. It's a series of questions and, and sub-questions. We go down rabbit holes that we that we get answered. We engage with five primary groups in every organization. So the engineering group, the executive leadership, operations, uh, quality, and information technology. And what we're trying to do is quantify where people are. Where do you stand? What is yeah. that inventory? What is your, how does the business operate? What, is a, what are your capabilities in terms of all the smart stuff you have in your facility? And you touched on this uh, earlier about how as the, the IT groups, as they start looking at what's on the operational technology and they start looking at what's on the plant floor, they're shocked by two things. A, how much data they actually have, and B, how hard it is to get it, mm, right? right? They're really shocked at those two things. And so that's where the open architecture thing comes in. Well, if we just make it, if we open things up and make it easier to access that data, we use technology to access it, you know, um, then you know, we're, we'll be better off. And I, I want to use this example. Um, legacy. So you have legacy automation companies and then you have bleeding edge 
automation companies. Here, here two examples. Aviva, you know, Wonderware, Invensys, right? Those are legacy. And then you've got inductive automation, Ignition. You have Factory Studio. You have Flow Software, Canary Labs. Those are your bleeding edge companies. The former, um, the former are closed, relatively speaking, and the latter are open. They use open architecture, right? They 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 use technology based solutions. If you look at cost wise, if you take a Viva system, I'm going to use a Viva and Factory Studio in this case. If you take a Viva system platform, and you take Factory Studio, okay, Tatsoft's Factory Studio. Capability-wise, it's very easy to argue that Factory Studio has far more capability than a Viva system platform mm-hmm. does. Okay, the v- Factory Studio costs about ten thousand dollars for the unlimited licensing solution, right? So I can get an IIoT platform, fully unlimited, okay, for like ten grand. I can't even get the box that the discs are put in for system platform from Aviva for for ten thousand dollars. <laughs> Okay, you're you're talking like a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar solution. When you do apples to apples, it's a two hundred fifty thousand dollar solution versus ten thousand dollars. One is closed, one is open. This is why the IT groups, when they go and they take a look, they do not. To them, they just simply cannot understand why is it that the operations groups continue to to leverage technology that, in their opinion, is deficient. And costs way too much. Hmm. This is the challenge. Yeah. So the the assessment process is part of us figuring out. Well, how far apart are IT and OT? How far apart are they? Uh, what type of influence does IT have? What is the vision of the executive leadership? How? What's the workflow of the business? You know, you guys mm-hmm. have. I have a video that walks through industrial workflow. Um, how open to change are people? Okay, Uh, you know, operations is generally not open to change. Right. Um, And so you have to you have to identify the people who are going to come on board with you for digital transformation. They're not going to resist. You want to stay away from the cavemen in your in your early parts of the engagement. The cavemen citizen against virtually everything. You want to stay away from them. Don't involve them. Don't do anything that impacts them. You know, don't make an enemy out of the caveman. And what you want to find are the innovators. And let me say this. You know who the innovators are? Hmm. They are the young people who grew up with technology. So you and I are, I think we're about the same age. <laughs> I'm in my late 40s. Technology emerged while I was in my 20s, really emerged, right, right. while I was in my 20s. And so I, I got lucky. I learned technology, but I wasn't raised on technology. Right, right. right? I did not have a tablet in my hand when I was four years old, I didn't, <laughs> I, I didn't, I wasn't an Android from the moment I came out of the womb. Right. The people who are innovators are these kids that are coming out of college. The ones that old people like to complain about who they are, they were born androids <laughs> and they understand the power of technology and they understand the folly. They, they walk into a plant and they go, this is ridiculous. I can't believe we're even in business. Mm-hmm. They say that they, they literally say this in their head. And and they are those are the people you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. You need those champions internally to help you digitally transform. Yeah, and, and you know what? They're they're easy to spot too because when you walk through the office, you'll see like six Raspberry Pis on their desk. That's right, right exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and if you, you and you can, there are cultural things you can say. Like if you mention ETA Prime or Linus Tech Tip Tech Tips, or if you if you mention certain YouTubers, 
in 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 conversation and they react you know that they're thinking <laughs> you know they're they're thinking uh they're hobbyists right they're hackers they right, right. you know that's how they are yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. No, that's <laughs> funny so, so let's let's shift gears a little bit because of the assessments you do like that and and all the different projects you've been involved in and i'm guessing um and this is totally a guess but i'm guessing a lot of times when you're called in it, it wasn't their first time around the uh, the merry-go-round. You know, they've they've made some attempts at at 4.0 or, or digital Correct. transformation. So let's talk about you know DX fails. You know, what are the big big failures you've seen, or, or more importantly, you know, the the root causes of those failures? What are the big warning signs that people should be looking for? Whether they're other integrators or they're executives that are trying to initiate these programs. Yeah, this is a this is a good topic here. So this is the the one everybody's. So yes, you're correct. We rarely, rarely get involved before they've started their digital transformation journey. Here's what happens: that I told you there the three things that they're they the three problems they run into when they first get started. You know, the executive taps somebody as a digital transformation guru. Hey, I read McKinsey sent me a report, or you know, I, I should be digitally transforming. I have no idea what the value is, but I'm really scared that my competitors are going to do it. Take a look at this. Let's digitally transform. And they all make the same mistakes. Okay. So first off, they conflate digitization with digital transformation. That's the Mm. first mistake. Number one. So they'll, they think that digital transformation is just turning, you know, Hey, taking this spreadsheet and turning it into a dashboard, right? That that's digitization. That's not digital transformation. Right. Digital transformation is a strategy. It, is, it, it changes the way you do your business. So the difference between um, Ford, um, you know, Ford, General Motors, and Chrysler, and Tesla is that Tesla operates their business on a digital strategy. I, Ford, uh, General Motors, and Chrysler do not. Neither do their suppliers. They're tier one suppliers. They operate in the Stone Ages. Now, there are many people who will hear this, and they'll get offended, and my feelings are hurt, and all that kind of thing. And I can't believe this jerk said that we operate in the Stone Ages. Well, I under, I get it that your feelings are hurt, but that doesn't change the reality that you operate in the Stone Ages. Because I've been inside of Tesla's facility, I've worked on Tesla's production lines, and I've worked on yours. And there are two; they are two entirely different worlds. Hmm. They're completely different worlds. You would be embarrassed if you're a Ford executive, and you walk inside of a Tesla facility, you would be embarrassed. You, you'll, you'll be humbled. And, and they have to hear that because most of the time they're walking around thinking they got it figured out, and they don't. The Industry 3.0 organization has got two, one of two choices. I'm either going to evolve, and by evolve, I don't mean continuously improve, which is what they're focused on. You, you need a wholesale change of um, refactoring of your business or you're going to die one of the two hmm. the big three here is here here's a uh, for you, you investors out there the big three will become the big one that i can tell you okay there will no we will not have a ford general motors and a chrysler we will just have one monolith because that's the only way they're going to survive okay hmm. that's the only way they're going to survive because they won't they're not going to do the wholesale change they can't now, U.S. cars, the, the organizations in you know, North America, they are working to help digitally transform those businesses, right? But I would argue they're, ta- they're taking all the wrong steps. Okay, they're taking mm-hmm. all the wrong steps. So here, here's, and here's why. When you fail in digital transformation, 
you fail for one of three reasons. You either pick the wrong technology, you pick the wrong partners, or you leverage the wrong strategy. Okay? So the technology goes to those four pillars, right? right. Edge-driven, report-by-exception, open architecture, lightweight. We, when, when you look at it, when digital transformation fails and, and they bring us in and say, hey, what went wrong here? Um, almost certainly, most of the time, they picked the wrong technology to start. They may have picked the wrong partners, and they absolutely did the wrong strategy. Strategy is related to agility, right? It right. is how do we – if I'm a huge organization, how do I digitize all the things that I want to digitize? How do I implement a technology stack that's going to scale? And how do I continue to – how do I have a mechanism for applying um, the, the new knowledge that I gain from digital transformation? And that goes to agility. So here, here's one of the problems, right? Uh, I want to digitally transform. I'm huge company A. And um, how much is it going to cost me? And what will my return on investment be? Right. The correct answer to that question is, I don't know. Right. Okay, that's the correct yep. answer. If anyone gives you an answer other than, I don't know, they're lying to you. <laughs> okay, they're lying to you. Okay, the answer is, I don't know. What I can tell you is there is a way to successfully digitally transform. The advantage that Tesla has is that Tesla was built during the fourth industrial revolution. Right. Okay. It didn't exist in the third industrial revolution. Yep. So it had the, there was no legacy. There was no legacy bureaucracy to overcome. Right. There was no legacy technology to overcome. Elon Musk learned one of the things he learned when he, was, hey, the, the old tier, the tier one automotive supplier model doesn't work. We got to make our own batteries. Okay, we need, to, we need to make our own sub-assemblies. That model does not work. Our car will cost us $250,000 if we use that model, right? Hmm. And, 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 and that is a, that's something he learned by a function of being a digitally, tra- well, he wasn't a digitally transformed business. He was a digital business. It was right, a digital, right. digital organization from the beginning. Amazon, the same thing. Amazon was grew up after the fourth industrial revolution started, right? And so right, right. that's why, from as a logistics business, as a, a e-commerce business or a commerce business, they have a, a huge leg up on companies like Walmart and T- Target and all those guys, right? So you you fail when digital transformation fails when you pick the wrong technology, you have the wrong partners, the wrong strategy. I want to give you real examples here, okay? So here are warning signs. Um, and I'm going to talk about projects we've worked on, okay? Yep. Um, there are three in particular I want to use, and all of these are big enterprise solutions. Example number one is if digital transformation is diasporatic, that is everyone across, people all across the organization are doing their own thing, and there is no cohesive strategy, yeah. okay? So, for example, we, we, and I mentioned this in a previous video that we shot just recently, we were working for a huge company, and we were leading the North American digital transformation effort. And then there was a, a, another group in Germany who had their own digital transformation effort. And they were competing against one another. Okay, mm-hmm. We were technology-driven, the North American team, because we were leading it. And they were solution-driven, solution-centered. They were using German technology to do it. And um, both teams had really super smart people. Everyone's intentions were had the best intentions. The one thing that was missing... That was, A, the two teams never met. They only competed against one another. And number two, they did not have a cohesive technology strategy. 
So the technology we were using was different than the technology they were using. There were no minimum requirements. And here are the minimum requirements. Report by exception, edge-driven, unified <laughs> namespace, lightweight, open architecture, right? Those are the, your minimum requirements. What ended up happening in that case is we obviously moved ahead of their technology. We got to a point where we, you know, in just like 18 months, they had been developing for 10 months or 10 years. We'd been developing in 18 months, and we got to a point where we were able to provide capabilities that they couldn't provide because they had painted themselves into a corner. You know, and I, this is digital work instructions, recipe management, that kind of stuff. Yep. So what ended up happening was there's a political battle internal. If you start seeing a, a political battle between two separate groups who are, in theory, working towards the exact same end, <laughs> you're in trouble. Yeah. Okay, you're in trouble. Okay, here's example number two. And this is a very, very common one. One of the strategies that we use, and here's an inside, inside baseball, is we insist when we, when we start our digital transformation journey that an a influential member of the IT group sits on our steering committee. So we create a development team that's a combination of my company, my engineers, my project managers and architects, and, and their group. We work together. We, and part of the deal is the client has to allow us to train them to support this. So, you know, our goal is we don't want to go deep and stay long. What we want to do is teach you how to do this, get you started, get the foundation in place. We'll do most of the work in the beginning. We, you go through all of our training. You go through all of the process of learning how to maintain this. And then you take it over, and we really consult as architects going, going forward as opposed to it, being yeah. your selling you labor, right? That's our strategy. But we put a member of the IT group. We insist that it is someone influential. So that is an EVP, a director. It's got to be somebody who has decision power. The reason we do that is because in industry, um, the IT group has um, has authority and power it does not deserve, okay? <laughs> and it has the ability to drive your company into the ground. Okay, the IT group, I've been doing this for 22 years, okay? I read security magazines. I, you know, I read hacker magazines. I read everything. Yeah. I have never once in 22 years uh, personally seen a, an intrusion of a process network with my own eyes. Never seen it. And I've worked for all of the biggest companies you can possibly think of. I have never personally seen it with my own eyes. And I, and I am totally comfortable in saying that if I haven't seen it, then the risk isn't nearly as great as IT departments tell you they are. That doesn't mean open up your networks, okay? Right, right. What I'm saying is, is that what I am saying is, is that you don't need to have air gaps between the in, the IT technology and the OT technology to keep your business secure. You right, can use right. other technology like edge driven, right? One of the reason ed, edge driven is part of the pillars is that if we use edge driven technology, we do not have to open any inbound ports to our machines. Mm -hmm. Our machines can report out, but nobody can access them and instantiate a connection from outside the from outside the world. By the way, this is one of the the biggest weaknesses of OPC UA. You have to have inbound ports open to your PLCs in order for you to be able to talk to the PLC. Mm -hmm. Edge-driven technology and why we use the Advantech Unos from Advantech, right, and, and, and the B&B SmartWorks technology is because once I put that inside my cabinet, once I put that technology in my cabinet, all I got to do is let it talk out to the world. Right. I don't, I don't have to allow anything to talk in to it. 
so if you see, and part of the reason we add the IT people to the team is so that we get to tell them, A, they have a vested interest in the success because they're on the team. Sure. Okay. Yep. So if it fails, they failed too. But also we have a path directly to the chief technical officer. Here's a warning sign, and this just happened to us. We've been, we had been in a two-year engagement with one of the largest companies in the world, a French-owned company conglomerate. We're doing digital transformation in the United States. We're just finishing this project up. We had gotten to the 90% mark. We had already gone. We had a member of the IT group on our team, a powerful guy. We had a connection to the, I, to the ERP system. In April, we're, we're literally ready to finish the project. We're like three weeks away from hmm. done. We're 18 months into the development. In April, the IT department changed their policies on access to the ERP um, system hmm. and, and closed the ports that we had our connection to. Okay? Now, mind you, we, for six months, we had had this connection. We had been... And we were not writing back into the ERP in any way, shape, or form. We were consuming bill of materials and that kind of stuff. And they, they, they closed the port in April, and, and I can be a very convincing guy. They had hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars invested into this solution, and they fixed that issue last week. Ugh. So April 14th. <laughs> so from April until December, nothing happened. Wow. Nothing. So that is a huge warning sign. No, that's, uh, and then I want to use one more. Um. If you come across people in your organization who have an incentive for digital transformation to fail, okay, <laughs> and, you, and you give them authority to undermine digital transformation, they will. That is a huge warning sign, okay? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, when you uh, – I like to use the Department of Labor as a really good example here, okay? So when the minimum wage law was implemented in the United States, I think in the – the 40s or whatever, but in, in the, the Department of Labor grew, exploded in size like in the 1950s. The, they were charged, they were tasked with, um, with administering the minimum wage law. Well, they hired an economist, a, fam a very famous economist actually, he wasn't famous at the time, who, to analyze the effectiveness of the minimum wage. And he wrote a report um, in, from inside the group, and that report was, well, minimum wage actually creates poverty. It actually doesn't eliminate it. And here's what happens. When you move the minimum wage to $3 an hour, that means that, means that if, if uh, uh, the market decides that a, a task is worth, worth less than $3 an hour, then they don't hire for it at all. They give that responsibility to somebody who's making more than $3 an hour. And they increase the amount of work, and they don't employ the person that they would have given the $2.50 to to learn the skill. The Department of Labor fired the economist. Okay, I mean, that's, that's what happened. They never reported on it. They fired the economist. Here's my point. You, as an executive, you have to ask yourself, do I have people within the organization who, in their minds, are going, are going to be threatened by digital transformation? Sure. And yep. if they are, if those are people who are going to... If you have people who can perceive it that way, you can't give them the ability to cut... Let your their legs out your legs out from underneath you when it comes to the initiative. Those are the big warning signs. The yeah, IT yeah. one is the biggest one. Yeah, the yeah, IT like, the IT one is the biggest one. But. Yeah, yeah. Well, certainly, you know, and, and I go back to execs on this because I'm I'm huge about strategy, right? So mm -hmm. if you don't have a clear, cohesive strategy, then then there's no way you can get people lined up 
Um, but then the next thing you have to do is be sure that people's incentives are lined up because change is always hard. Change always causes disruption. So, and it's always going to cause, you know, people are going to perceive that as a threat, you know, to their, their job, their security. And I, I, uh, I just had an exchange with a director, um, yeah. a, 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 again, the, one of the largest tier one automotive suppliers in the world. I won't tell you which one, cause you could look it up, but the, one of the largest tier one automotive suppliers in the world, I had an email exchange with them, uh, this past week, actually. And, um, he is, um, he's new to his position. I think he came in like April. He has no experience in digital transformation, but he's a, he's a, um, you know, smart, accomplished engineer, right. You know, yeah. uh, accomplished director. And, and because he works for a really large tier one automotive supplier, he's a political animal. You have to be to succeed mm-hmm. in those organizations. Right. So you, you know, and, and, and here, here was the conversation I had with him. Hey, you have, there are systemic issues within your organization that are causing you to have your problems. And you, you got to look out for these things. Boom, boom, boom. I listed off like eight things. These are facts. You know, this, this is a systemic issue within your organization. This is a systemic issue within your organization, right? And these things will cause you to fail. And his response to me was, I don't think it's helpful to point those things out, though. You know, he's, <laughs> he said, I, I, he said I, I think it comes across as judgmental and condescending. And... And, and so, you know, he goes, I don't think it's helpful to point that out. And my, my response to him was, you don't have a choice but to point that stuff out. I mean, you, if you don't, if, what, if you don't throw that out on the table, this mm-hmm. is not continuous improvement. Digital transformation is not incremental change. Right, right. It is not. It is busting through a glass ceiling. You are going to get cut up if you're leading digital transformation. I can guarantee you certain things. Number one, you're going to think you're going to fail at many times during the process. Number two, you're going to feel like you don't know what you're doing many times during the process. <laughs> and number three, people are going to hate you. There are going to be people who hate you. There are also going to be people who love you. Okay? <laughs> but if you are a political animal, you are not the person to be leading digital transformation. Yeah, I can absolutely guarantee you will fail because you, you have the responsibility to give the bad news. And the bad news is we're not going to be in business if we don't do this. If we continue doing it that way, and I know this guy who I play golf with on Saturdays has a vested interest that we continue to do it that way. If we, if we continue to do it that way, we're going to fail. Okay? And do we, and do we want to wait until we have the financial incentive? That is, our stock price continues to plummet. We lose more and more market. I mean, watch a v, look at Aviva and Rockwell. They stand by as they watch their market share shrink, continue to dwindle. Rockwell Automation did the PTC partnership to hide the fact that they're losing market share. That was the whole reason they did it. They wanted to catch up on the technology and hide to their investors that they're losing market share. Aviva just did the exact same thing with OSI Soft. The number one conversion in digital transformation is from an Aviva product to inductive automation's ignition. It's two-thirds. It, two out of every three conversions is from an, an Aviva Wonderware product to ignition. Two out of every three. Inductive wow. automation has a third of the market share in the United States now, a little over the third. Wow. When I started working with them, they had less than a percent. When I, when, when I won my first Firebrand Award with inductive automation, they had 8%. <laughs> okay, so yeah. the, 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 tech, the technology, if you, if, you don't adopt, if you don't adopt digital transformation, you can, you can assume certain things. You're either going out of business 
or you're getting acquired. And you and as a leader of the organization, and, and somebody may close you or you're going to get swallowed up by some other organization who did digitally transform. This is an absolute 100% certainty. You can guarantee this. And, I'll, and, I, and, and so for the digital, for the executives that are on listening, I, I want to, there's one thing I'd like to list off real quick, which is um, what should your goal be with digital transformation? When you're sitting down talking to the board and they're asking, why, do, why does this matter? What is, you know, from a 10,000 foot view, here is your goal. You want a fully integrated business made up of digital factories. Okay. That is your goal. A fully integrated business made up of digital factories. What does that mean? It means that you everything and everyone is plugged into the network. Okay? Yep. Number two, it means that the layers of the business are all integrated together, and they operate based on data and information from all of the other layers of the business in real time. Number three, all stakeholders know the state of the business in real time. Number four, all stakeholders know the future state, the predicted state of the business hmm. in real time. Number five, you leverage technology, namely machine learning and artificial intelligence, to collect and analyze data and information. Data is the events. Information is the context you create from the data. Number uh, six, I think, is where I'm at. Uh, machine learning will predict future outcomes based on past patterns and current state. It'll look at all that data, and it'll go, we've seen this before, and yep, here was yep. the result, and, and, and hey, we got to do something about it. Artificial intelligence is going to consume from machine learning, and it's going to, many machine learning algorithms, and it's going to recommend operational adjustments to improve your future outcomes. And last but not least, human beings, all those stakeholders, are going to make a decision whether to execute or not execute those recommendations from machine learning and artificial intelligence. Digital yeah. transformation is all about getting you to that. Hmm. But you don't get to that by going, hey, here's my th list off these nine things. These are our capability requirements. How much is it going to cost me and when will you be done? It doesn't work that way. It right, is a strategy. Right. It's a process. You have to change the way you do business in order to achieve that. Yeah, right? that, that's excellent, Walker. That's a great way to, to put all that together. And, um, but yeah, yeah, I see it all the time because, you know, it's just so hard to, everybody in automation is so used to being able to define the start and end of a project, right? You know, and, and this just doesn't work that way. And I think that's, that's one reason why it's taken this period of time, you know, because it's not like we've been waiting for a certain technology to push us over the edge. But I think with this OTIT convergence that we're seeing, we're on, we're on the front end of it. And we certainly see in, in some of the, you know, anecdotes you just shared and, and worse in the market share shifts are going and, and, and like I said earlier, you know, I, I see this as the front end of a, a decade of decline in terms of, you know, proprietary, uh, dedicated appliance type systems. And, well, and let the, me let me let me use this example. I used to when we were doing just ignition stuff, you know, maybe seven, eight years ago, eight years ago. Every, I remember one year, every project we did was ignition of hmm. 50 something projects. I used to tell the organization will ask me, why do I need to use ignition and not use one in touch, for example? Yeah, back then that was a very common question. Now it doesn't really get asked nearly as much anymore. They people are they they know ignitions for real. Um, same thing with Factory Studio. Five years from now, people will be saying the exact same thing about Factory Studio, right? Mm -hmm. And 
they would say, why is it I should use that and not use this known? No one's ever going to get fired for picking underwear, right? right. Well, yeah, I'm also, I'm also guaranteeing my car's not going to break down because I bought a Bentley. You know what I mean? <laughs> but why would I, why would I, now, I don't want to equate the quality of a Bentley to a, you know, a Chevy Cavalier <laughs> or something, but the, I'm showing my age because I don't think the Cavalier exists anymore, but the, um, the, the, you know, why would you spend $250,000 on a solution that's limited and robust? It is robust. It's limited and robust when you can spend 10000 on a platform for solving problems. That's open. And what I used to stress was you, you're hiring us to do Project A. Part of what we're doing is putting in an infrastructure so that you can do Projects B through Z, and you don't even know what B through Z is yet. Right, right. You know, you, yep. you, and, and one of the most amazing things, we love doing this when we do our case studies, we'll come back a year, generally when we do MES, we'll come back one year after we deployed so that we can chart out the case study, what were their gains, what, how did production go up, how did waste go down. But one of the things that we look at in their ignition gateways and in their factory studio and engineering environments is how many new projects they've built themselves to solve very specific problems yeah, that are built inside the exact same ecosystem. Yep. And one of them in a tier one automotive supplier, we d- when we left, there was a single project running in the framework. When we came back, they had developed more than 30 themselves. Hmm. You know, simple things like barcode scanners. And, you know, they built a monitoring system for the, the, uh, the compression sensor for, you know, putting together these devices. And yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's a ple- you, we, what you're doing in digital transformation is all about putting in a framework for solving the issues you have right now, but also the problems that are going to come up in the future. As opposed to the old mentality is every problem is a, it has a turnkey solution. It has one solution. I'm going to write out a, a request for quote. I want these four things solved. You're going to come in. You're going to develop it. You're going to have a functional acceptance test at the end. You're going to walk away. And that solution is standalone. It doesn't fit, fit into anything else. Mm-hmm. And it's not built on top of anything else. The, digital transformation is all about everything is part of the same ecosystem. So... You approach every project as one part of a much bigger whole. And right, how is right. what I'm doing right now built on what I already did? And how is what I build tomorrow going to be built on what I'm building now? Yeah, yeah. That is digital transformation from a philosophical perspective. Yeah, yeah. You know, one thing that I've, I've seen uh, that, that you do that's pretty unique in terms of the world of SI is you've got a lot of content out there on this. So if, if people want to get a lot more information uh, and background on, on you know, the technologies, the strategies, the architectures. I, I really recommend they get out there on YouTube and check out uh, um, all the content you've got out there. So, what you know, that's really unusual for an SI in, in my experience. What's in your DNA that that's got you out there? I mean, you, you're getting checks from YouTube at this stage, right? You've got oh yeah, yeah, yeah huge yeah, we, number of, of <laughs> followers. Yeah, if you uh, yeah, we definitely have. Um, so let me. We, we our whole goal was to create a community of like-minded thinkers. And that's not marketing. That isn't, that, that's really what we were trying to do. What's really important to note is that we're a mission-driven organization. So while I am a capitalist, I've already climbed my first mountain, right? Yeah. I, I don't need to be in the... I'm not in this for the money, right? For any of you guys who've read David Brooks' book, <laughs> The Second Mountain, I re- recommend you read it. My educational background is sociology. So I, I started out in sociology, did my graduate work in education, and I, uh-huh. I studied electrical engineering while I was getting doing my graduate work. Okay, so that's <laughs> that's where 
I, I, I'm a sociologist by heart, okay? But we're a, mis- we're a mission-driven organization, and our mission is to help save and create middle-class jobs in the U.S. Again, that's not marketing. Yeah, Every single yeah. thing we do is from that perspective. We started shooting content because what we realized, you touched on this earlier, we were constantly coming behind other integrators and fixing projects. And we didn't realize at the time that we, what we were fixing was the first project in a digital transformation initiative. We didn't mm-hmm. realize it at first. So we started shooting content to, we realized they're all making the same mistakes. They're, they're, they're making the same mistakes over and over and over again. And a lot of it goes to no technology stack, right? Um, they're not including IT people yeah. in the initiative. They're not teaching the customer you know, how to maintain this system. I, there's a, an integrator that I, I had a long conversation with that's based in Indianapolis. I met with his, their president. He's a Purdue guy. And, and we were talking about his business strategy. And he wanted, hey, I want to do what you guys do. And, and the first thing I asked him was, well, what's your business model? And he said, my business model is go deep, stay long. He said that. Those mm-hmm. are the words he used. He said, you know, we, we want to help the customer. We believe that they're not qualified to hire their own engineers. They should hire us. It will be their engineering arm. And we'll just do, you know, a twenty one $20,000 project after another. Well, well, that's great. That's a, probably a valuable model for his customers. But you're not going to be able to digitally transform doing that. You, you, you will, if they hire you to digitally transform them, you'll fail. And I can guarantee that. <laughs> Absolutely guarantee it. And, and so what ended up happening was we saw these integrators making the same mistakes. We started shooting the content to teach them not to, to, to not make these mistakes, <laughs> right? The second thing was we wanted to teach the community which questions to ask yep. when they're getting ready to do, to do digital transformation. And then it just kind of grew from there. We had, I was never supposed to be in front of the camera. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but... We were shooting content for like six months, and, and it really wasn't resonating. What happened, that first video, if you, I think it's, uh, you know, what is IIoT, I think is the, okay. the first video of ours that exploded. I'm wearing a brown turtleneck, and I don't have a microphone on. The reason I'm not wearing a microphone is because I wasn't supposed to be in front of the camera. That was supposed to be a video. He shot that video. Zach asked me to get in front of the video. He said, go in front of the whiteboard, and I'm going to give this to my video editors. So basically, give me a primer on what it is we're doing the content on. That's what he said. He never told me he was going to publish it to YouTube. And what he did was he, did, he published it to YouTube after they edited it, and it just exploded. It got all these views, and, and that's how I got in front of the camera. The, what we've done since then is we've created a Discord server, a Discord server that I think we have over 700 members now, where members of the community, it's the Industry 4.0 Discord server, they, they can collaborate in real time. We have engineers asking questions at various layers. If you've got a, we have an edge channel. So if you've got a question about edge technology, mm, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, this is where Advantech and Opto22 and, you know, and uh, you know, all the other companies um, show up. Yep. Um, we, we have a Discord server, and then we also have Intellic.online, which is where we have, we have all of our like, premium educational content. So we got to a point where I had spent so much money on digital media. I think I spent like more than a quarter million dollars actually in like 18 months. Hmm. My board of director was saying, Hey, listen, the money, the checks you get from YouTube are not <laughs> sufficient. You got to get additional. So we do have premium stuff too, where called digital mastermind and mentorship where we, we teach engineers how to do what we do. So that's the mentorship program. They go through the exact same 
training programs, step one, step two, step three, that our engineers go through. And then Digital Mastermind is all about teaching those executives how to manage these projects. So when you find yourself as the digital mastermind guru, right, or the digital transformation guru, and you've never done it before, that's what Digital Mastermind's for. And we actually just purchased IIoT.university. You'll end up seeing it. Um, we, we just purchased that domain. We're going to move everything to that and, and try to serve the community from there. But I, I want to stress, you know, this is all in service of a, a, a very, a much higher mission for us. You know, this was not a right. capitalist venture. We, we, we believe, and we, you and I were talking politics before we went on the air. I pay very close attention to the advancement society, you know, in, in, in politics in the United States. I, I, we are a mission-driven company, and, and our goal is to help revitalize the middle class. And we know the only way to do that in the United States is for, to have thriving manufacturing. There, is not, there isn't a right. mechanism, right? My training in sociology shows that there is no mechanism to have a thriving middle class in a, in a nation of 350 million plus without thriving manufacturing sector. And so that's our goal. To us, we take it personally. Yeah. If you know that that the big three automakers haven't figured it out because they they employ a lot of Americans and they're getting crushed by Tesla, crushed. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, well, Walker, I certainly recommend that everybody gets out there on your YouTube channel and and starts to engage with your your content there because you've just put a lot of great material out there. And, and if somebody wants to reach out to to yourself or intellect, you know, what, what's the best way for them to uh, reach out to you? They can go to IntelliCintegration.com, so I-N-T-E-L-L-I-C Integration.com. They can go to our, our LinkedIn page. We, we're very active on LinkedIn. Um, and, or they can email me directly at walker.reynolds at IntelliCintegration.com. We have a whole team of guys that, that um, um, we try to respond to every single question. Sometimes it takes weeks for, us to get to, for me to get to it anyway. But, um, you know, I, I'm doing more of these podcasts, like uh, when you reached out. Hey, do you, would you mind joining? You know, I'm trying to do more of this to kind of funnel everyone into the community. But, you know, remember, we, we've created a community of people of like-minded thinkers. And the Discord channel is the, is the great place to meet that community um, and, uh, and interact. I mean, we've, now we've got all these subgroups, small groups breaking yeah, out yeah. of like-minded thinkers within the Discord server. And so it's, it's pretty cool, man. It's, uh, it's very enriching. Yeah, fantastic. Well, congratulations on all that, Walker. Appreciate it's, it, man. Uh, you guys are, are headed down the right path for sure. But hey, thank you. this has been a lot of fun. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today for the, the podcast. A lot of great topics, and I'm sure I'm going to uh, get a lot of good feedback on this. And I, I think you're going to get some uh, um, some some new uh, followers as well. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of IoT at the Edge. Be sure and subscribe. And as always, for more information on Advantech's industrial IoT solutions, point your web browser to advantech.com.